there, it's Gary Parish. It's Saturday, March 30th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's about 1.30 a.m. Eastern right now, and we are down to eight teams. Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Texas Tech, Virginia, Purdue, Kentucky, Auburn. Those are the four Elite Eight games, and we're going to get to all of them, I promise. But I think we have to start, Norlander, with what happened late Friday between Duke and Virginia Tech. So Duke, first things first, without Cam Reddish, knee injury of some sort, so that was interesting. Fast forward to the final moments of the game, Virginia Tech is down to 1.1 second remaining. Buzz Williams draws up an inbounds play, gets a lob to the rim. Med Hill catches it, clean look. He just missed it incredibly. Med Hill just missed it, short-armed it at the rim. So Duke wins 75-73, and for the second straight game, the Blue Devils get lucky in the final seconds. Last Sunday, it was Aubrey Dawkins missing a putback at the buzzer. On Friday night, it was a Med Hill missing a catch at the rim at the buzzer. Make sense of it. Norlander is Duke the luckiest team on the planet. I imagine you were watching it somewhere, and I imagine you did something similar to what I did when a Med Hill caught the ball. You were like, oh, because it <laughs> seemed like no doubt. I mean, you watched that play nine times. You watched that play ten times, nine and a half times out of ten. That's going to result in a bucket. 98 out of 100, I think, probably. Uh, yes, I was with our good buddy Jeff Borzello. And uh, just, <laughs> I mean, what a game. It, it The game actually went the way I thought it was going to go. I thought Duke was just barely going to beat Virginia Tech. And lo and behold, that's the way it happened. But you don't expect it to finish like that. Um, some absurd plays in the game. The Zion Williamson alley-oop is just the latest in a near-endless line of ridiculous highlights for him. And then the recovery, uh, after he gets uh, broken by Justin Robinson, the recovery for the block was nearly as impressive uh, for Virginia Tech to get a couple breaks as well, no doubt about it. Uh, Blackshear's foot was on the line, but uh, not reviewable, so they they got another opportunity there. Ty Outlaw, the... S- Best shooter or second best most accurate three-point shooter in the ACC this season. Uh, he had a three that was way off, and I had no issue with no foul call there on Alex O'Connell either. I think that was a good no call. Wasn't quite as bumpy, if you will, as Lamonte Turner on Carson Edwards. We'll, of course, get to that in a second. But, yes, Duke is lucky. Aubrey Dawkins should have put back the layup to beat Duke, and it didn't fall. <laughs> and Ahmed Hill should have put that in. It almost felt like he thought there was like point three or point four, or just mentally he didn't gather himself to realize that had he caught it, he could have really just had a you know really five or six tenths more of a second to get it. But it's a tough spot. You got Zion Williamson trailing you. Like it's not an easy thing. So I don't fault him at all. Just it's the, one of those losses where you know for Virginia Tech and its fans and Hill and Buzz Williams and all. It's just. You had it. You had it close. Um, the teams played pretty evenly as well. Like I don't feel like Duke escaped because Virginia Tech played a much better game or vice versa. I actually thought they were relatively balanced overall. My last note on this GP is that uh, tr- like Trey Jones stepped in and they needed him. Cam Reddish did not play. Trey Jones hits five three-pointers, a season high. Uh, Borzello had realized when we were watching this game that he had not had more than Won in a game since, like, November 19th, and he stepped up and had a huge three-point shooting percentage. Without him, Duke loses the game. 
23 points, six rebounds, three blocks for Zion Williamson. So another big performance from him. R.J. Barrett, 18 points and 11, 11 assists. So uh, Duke's big four wasn't there, but the big three did play, and they all performed well. 40 minutes for Trey Jones, 40 minutes for Zion Williamson, 39 minutes for R.J. Barrett. I think the point you make about Ahmed Hill is it's something – that Brent Stover, uh, my good buddy and host at CBS Sports Network, pointed out as well. Um, as you know, the initial number on the clock was 0.6. And when they went back and reviewed it, they moved the clock to 1.1. It almost looked like Ahmed Hill didn't know that he had 1.1, that he still thought they had 0.6, and he had to get the ball off of his hands as quickly as possible because the way he got rid of the ball was like somebody trying to, to beat 0.6 as opposed to 1.1. Yeah, rough, rough GP. And we've had some, we've had some dramatic endings, uh, but we have not had the buzzer beater yet. Not yet to tie a game to get us to overtime at the end of regulation or in an OT to win it. We have just been, uh, we have not been rewarded with that yet. Maybe it's coming, but. Uh, credit to Virginia Tech for playing a really good game and giving us uh, another nice night of college basketball. Like the Sweet 16 on the whole was relatively enjoyable. We, of course, had some upsets. We had some upsets in shocking fashion or fairly surprising fashion. But the Duke-Virginia Tech game, I think for the general public, beyond just Zion Williamson reasons, was the most anticipated one. And it, it, it lived up to that expectation in that regard. Uh, VT just didn't quite have enough. And Zion was, of course, terrific. Barrett had a lot of distribution, played well, had, you know, was vintage, like down low, good, good second chance opportunities, just good awareness on the, around the rim. But I just keep coming back to Trey Jones. It was his steal that led to the Zion alley oop, just you know, three pointer after three pointer, which was the right play by Virginia Tech. But uh, he had enough threes that, uh, that kept Duke in front. Last thing on this so Virginia Tech loses. Uh, do you think that was Buzz Williams' final game at Virginia Tech? I still do think it is. I mean, maybe we come to find out that he's going to stay on at VT, but I I don't have uh, enough reason to believe that he is not headed out and toward College Station and to the SEC and to Texas A&M. Uh, if it happens, well, then A&M fans are going to be thrilled, and then Virginia Tech uh, ideally is going to try and hire someone that can do what Buzz has done, but the odds are stacked against him because he just took Virginia Tech – to three straight NCAA tournaments, it had never been done before in program history. So it's possible the next guy can do can do it, but but unlikely. And uh, a a short but successful era, uh, in my estimation, is probably over uh, in Blacksburg. Yeah, I'll be surprised if Buzz coaches another game at Virginia Tech. I do believe that he'll be the next head coach at Texas A&M, Texas A&M and I, I'm assuming you didn't see his post-game press conference. We carried it live on CBS Sports Network. And – you know, the, the the local reporters from Blacksburg or from the region were asking him about, you know, his future and how he looks back on his time at Virginia Tech. And he was like, I've made some lifelong friends. I've learned a lot. He was almost talking about Virginia Tech in the past tense. Um, he wasn't one of those coaches saying, this is not the time. Uh, I'll dress my future later. This is about the kids. Like, he talked like a human being. And he sounded like a human being who knows that he's – um or or, or um, believes that he's going to be moving uh, pretty pretty soon. So uh, with Duke advancing, the East Regional Final is now set. It's Duke against Michigan State. That should be tremendous. Turns out, you know, when the Sweet 16 started, we had a chance to have four regional finals, number one seed versus number two seed. We really only get one of those. It's going to be in the East Regional. We'll talk about that next. But first, check this out. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So in the East Regional, Duke beat Virginia Tech late Friday. Earlier in the night, Michigan State eliminated LSU. Really no problem there. So it's Duke-Michigan State on Sunday, 5.05 p.m. Eastern tip. It's going to be on CBS. That's America's most watched network. It's America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. And this is, like I said, the only one-two matchup we're going to get in the regional finals. What do you make of what has happened in the East? What's going to happen in the East? Yeah, um, all told with this with this specific uh, corner region quadrant of the back bracket, um, a lot of what was expected there, and you get two Hall of Fame coaches, you get a Michigan State team that uh, you know it it did not have. I'm, I watched most of the LSU game. I mean, it just didn't have much of an issue with that. Uh, the team looked well prepared. Cassius Winston was opportunistic, and now we're looking at Tom Izzo trying to get to yet another Final Four. I'm going to talk off the top of my head, GP. I do not have this in front of me. Uh, a listener can feel free to correct me here. But I want to say between Krzyzewski, Izzo, and Cal, and Roy, like those are the coaches that have the most Final Four appearances. And my blind guess is if Izzo, first of all, if Izzo beats K, I think that's his second career win ever versus Krzyzewski, and he'll then now be like maybe three, four tops Final Fours behind him, which is still crazy considering how many times Krzyzewski's gone. So expect to hear a lot about that, just Michigan State and Izzo's lack of success against Duke overall. Uh, big stage here should be should be pretty fascinating. The Cassius Winston versus Trey Jones matchup uh, could be terrific. Uh, Michigan State and the way it, it – is able to try to defend Zion Williamson like every other team uh, will be something to certainly keep an eye on. Um, but I took Michigan State before this tournament started. I am not gonna gonna walk away from that at all. I will still say Michigan State is the team that knocks off Duke. Uh, I expect a good game, a close game, but I will go with um, the team that is. Uh, you know, just a little bit better overall offensively in my estimation. Got a little more balance, great passing team, uh, better three-point shooting team. Give me the Spartans over the Blue Devils on Sunday. I mean, I, I've got Duke winning the national championship, so I'm just going to stick with Duke. But if we're basing it on where these two teams are at right now, um, 
you know, Michigan State is 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 playing better right now. Duke is lucky, and I I don't want to say lucky to get past Virginia Tech because if the Mid Hills, you know, catch at the rim goes in, we're headed to overtime. Where it's not game over. So Duke maybe wins it in overtime. But they were lucky to avoid a loss against Central Florida in the round of 32, and then lucky to avoid overtime against Virginia Tech in the Sweet 16. Combine that with the fact that we do not know if Cam Reddish is going to be able to play. What we do know is that he could not play on Friday night. Is he going to be ready to play on Sunday? I mean, maybe, but that's obviously a big question mark. On the other side, Nick Ward left the Sweet 16 game against LSU with a hand injury. Afterward, Tom Izzo said all the results came back fine. Afterward, Nick Ward said his hand is fine. So I will expect um, uh, Nick Ward to be in the lineup for Michigan State. Um, But, um, you know, this is obviously a, a, a big boy game. But if you go to Ken Palm right now, Michigan State is favored to win the game. Now, they're not in Vegas, and perhaps that's got a lot to do with the perception of Duke and Zion, and they just know that people are going to play Duke no matter what. But the final score at Kempom right now is Michigan State 77, Duke 76. Michigan State's third at Kempom right now. Duke is fourth at Kempom right now. So I know according to C, this will be an upset if Michigan State wins the game. According to Vegas, it'll be an upset if Michigan wins the game. Michigan State wins the game. But according to Ken Palm, um, it will not be an upset. And again, based on how these two teams are playing past two games, uh, you would think that Michigan State is, I don't know, they head into it playing a little bit better than, than Duke has been playing. But Duke still has, you know, three lottery picks and four first round picks. So, so we'll see. Either way. Um, tremendous matchup, 5.05 Eastern on Sunday, Duke, Michigan State. Norlander taking Michigan State. I'm just sticking with Duke because Duke is the national champion in my bracket. I'm not going to give up on it until I have to. Let's go to the West Regional. So on Thursday night, Gonzaga beat Florida State 72-58. Brandon Clark had 15 points, 12 rebounds, 5 blocks. Mark Few is in the Elite Eight for the third time in five years. After that, Texas Tech just humiliated Michigan. 63-44, held the Wolverines to 16 first-half points. Chris Beard has Texas Tech in the Elite Eight for the second straight year. Red Raiders had never been in the Elite Eight before last season, ever. Now Chris Beard has them in the Elite Eight for the second time really is amazing stuff. So it's Texas Tech-Gonzaga with a trip to the Final Four on the line. Tip is scheduled for 6.09 Eastern on Saturday night. You can watch it on TBS Norlander. Take it wherever you want. What do you make of Texas Tech and Gonzaga winning Thursday to create this Saturday matchup? Yeah, sure. So uh, East, we have the only one versus two matchup. But then the West, we've got, although it's, I guess it's the maybe the least uh, hyped matchup, maybe. It's also the matchup between the number one offensive team and the number one defensive team in college basketball. That's awesome. I can't speak to the Texas Tech-Michigan game at all. Purdue-Tennessee ended. I didn't watch any of that game. So all I know is that Texas Tech dominated and uh, <laughs> showed out showed out in such an amazing way. Credit to Beard and that program. To get a program like Texas Tech to back-to-back Elite Eights in itself is is absurd. Uh, we've you know, sung Beard's praises so often on this podcast this season can continue to do so. I did watch a lot of the Gonzaga-Florida State game. Uh, Brandon Clark, great again. Rui Hachimura had some big plays. And then when Florida State kind of got it close, Gonzaga exerted its dominance. I find this to be a fascinating game. I'm pumped that uh, the Purdue-Virginia uh, game is the second game here uh, on Saturday because that means I'll get to watch the the Florida State uh, – I mean Florida State – Gonzaga-Texas second game in its entirety. 
I expect a pretty good one. Um, I haven't looked at the Kempom projection. I don't even uh, like. I know I made a pick GP for this game. I feel like it was Gonzaga four and a half. The line like somewhere in there, I think. And I'm gonna take Gonzaga to cover. Um, if Texas Tech breaks through, uh, that will be quite a great story for Minneapolis. If Gonzaga gets there, almost the same because they're gonna have gotten to the Final Four again, and it's it's just. You know, if you get there once with Gonzaga, it's great. But if you do it twice in your Mark Few, like you're really building something up, and you're going to have still, I would think, under those circumstances, number one overall offense in the country, and a and a real, uh, real strong shot to win a national championship, no matter who you face in that national semifinal, be it Duke or Michigan State. Remember, Gonzaga's average margin of victory is the best college basketball has seen in uh, in two plus decades there. So. Uh, I will ride with the Bulldogs. I do think Gonzaga is the better team. Um, I don't think that they're going to be able to crack 80 points on Texas Tech. No way, no how. Um, but I do think that they're actually going to play pretty well. I The Culver versus Brandon Clark matchup is terrific. Um, Brandon Clark has just continued to be an awesome, awesome, awesome player. Uh, but I think Gonzaga is going to crack 70. So I think this is going to wind up being like a 70-64 kind of win for the Bulldogs. I have them winning. I have them covering. Uh, Ken Palm has it projected Gonzaga 72, Texas Tech 69. I think at four and a half, I'd take Gonzaga to win the game, but I might take those points because, man, Texas Tech has been super impressive. And you're exactly right. We have uh, sung the praises of Chris Beard on this podcast consistently. But for people who are just joining us in March Madness, I want to put into perspective exactly just what this guy has done in a very still young Division One head coaching career. He's, he's only been a head coach at the Division One level for four years. This is the fourth year. First year was at Little Rock, and he went 30-5. and five, Had Little Rock finish 56 at Kempom. They won a game in the NCAA tournament. Now, you might have, without context, not know how impressive that is, but here's the context. In the three years prior to Chris Beard taking over, Little Rock finished outside of the top 219, outside of the top 218 um, each year. Then Chris Beard comes, they're inside the top 60. Then Chris Beard leaves, outside of the top 224, three straight years. Here's the details. In 2013, Little Rock finished 220th at Ken Palm. 2014, 219. 2015, 235th. 2016 is the Chris Beard year. They finished 56, 30 wins, NCAA tournament victory. 2017, Chris Beard's gone. They go from 56 back into the 200s, 245th that year. Last season, 296th. This season, 225th. So Chris Beard leaves Little Rock after one year, stops at UNLV for like a cup of coffee, then uh, goes to Texas Tech. He replaces Tubby Smith. So by the way, Texas Tech fans, you owe a lot to the University of Memphis for being so stupid to hire Tubby Smith at $3 million a year because that's the only way you ended up with um, with Chris Beard. So Tubby Smith, uh, in his last year at Texas Tech, he has um, Texas Tech finished 54th at Ken Palm. Chris Beard takes over. They finished 41st at Ken Palm in 2017. Last year, they finished 11th at Ken Palm, go to the first Elite Eight in school history. This year, right now, they're fifth at Ken Palm. They're in the second Elite Eight in school history. Never been to an Elite Eight before Chris Beard got there. In in a total of three years, Chris Beard has taken them to two Elite Eights. He's one one went away from the school's first Final Four. That is an unbelievable job. And we still have not named our CBS Sports National Coach of the Year. Uh, we will do that next week. 
Um, but at this point, I think it really does come down to Chris Beard or Matt Painter. And we'll talk about Purdue, obviously, momentarily. But, you know, what Texas Tech has done under Chris Beard is, again, remarkable. And this guy has shown himself to be one of the real difference makers on the sideline. And keep in mind, whereas at Tennessee, they were good last year and good this year, largely the same players. At, at Texas Tech, it's just not. He lost five of his top six scores off last season's team. Steele's got this team fifth at Ken Palm right now in the Elite Eight. This team was unranked in the preseason for obvious reasons. They lost five of their top six scores. And you mentioned Jarrett Culver. He's going to be a lottery pick. Zaire Smith was a top 16 pick last year. Both of those guys were sub-100 prospects coming out of high school. Zaire Smith, far as I know, became the first ever one-and-done sub-100 high school player to be picked in the top 20 of an NBA draft. And now Jarrett Culver, his classmate, who is now a sophomore, basically guaranteed to be a top 10 pick in the 2019 NBA draft. I, I, there is not a job open right now that I wouldn't offer to Chris Beard for $5 million a year, $6 million a year, because if you can do what he's doing at Texas Tech within the way that he's doing it, you can win anywhere. This is historically one of the toughest jobs in the Big 12 if not the toughest, one of the toughest power five jobs that exist, and he has turned it into an absolute monster, and he's done it very, very quickly. So, yes, I've got Gonzaga winning um, in this Elite Eight game to go to the Final Four uh, for the second time under Mark Few, and that should be Hall of Fame stuff for him. Uh, honestly, I think Mark's in the Naismith Hall of Fame someday anyway. Um, but if Texas Tech wins the game, that won't surprise me because what they did to Michigan was awesome absolutely just shut down a John Beeline coach team in a way that you probably never imagine uh, you're going to see let's go to the south regional so on Thursday night you were there to see it Purdue beat Tennessee 99-94 just a tremendous basketball game Ryan Klein got a career high 27 points Carson Edwards was awesome again um, scoring in excess of 25 points for the third consecutive game after that, Virginia beat Oregon 53-49. It was survive and advance at its finest. So it's Virginia-Purdue with a trip to uh, the Final Four on the line. And what's terrific about it, obviously, um, either Tony Bennett, one of the best coaches in the country, who has not been to a Final Four yet, is going to get there, or Matt Painter, one of the best in the country, who has not been to a Final Four yet, is going to get there. It's guaranteed to be one of them because somebody's got to go. Norlander, um, that game's going to tip at 8.49 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night. You can watch it on TBS. But let's start with what you witnessed Thursday night in what was a wildly fun Purdue-Tennessee game. So fun. And on this podcast, GP, what did I say? I the, don't listen most times when you're talking. That's factually accurate. <laughs> Number two, I said the Purdue-Tennessee game, I thought it the best chance of being the best game of the Sweet 16. And... I think that is still true. I know we got some good ones here on Friday night, but I think all things told, uh, Purdue-Tennessee wound up being the best regional semifinal set on, on CBS Sports HQ as well. And by the way, if you have not been watching, please do turn into CBS Sports HQ. Parrish is on a lot. I'm on it plenty. 24-hour analysis. I'll be on it Saturday, Sunday, talking about the regional finals, and then we'll be preparing for the Final Four, giving you all that you need to see. So be sure to tune into that on your CBS Sports app, on your smart TV. We are on CBS Sports HQ constantly. If you love the podcast, you will love that. And what I said on HQ, building up to that game, was I thought because uh, Purdue was able to shoot well from deep and liked to do it a lot, and Tennessee was a top-three team in offensive efficiency – 
we were going to have a good chance of having a good game. And it was that the arena was electric. That was, in terms of games, I have covered in person a top five game I've ever uh, been to and written about and covered. Uh, 18-point lead for Purdue. Tennessee works its way back. It's not built to do that. was able to. Admiral Schofield had an absurd three-pointer from the logo at one point, and then Ryan Klein was out of his mind. Seven of ten from three, and six of them were jokes. Uh, one of the best shooting performances I think we've ever seen in the NCAA tournament considering uh, the stage, the opponent, the level of difficulty of some of these shots. And you, as he kept shooting them, uh, at least from where I was sitting, I kept expecting him to miss it as much as I was expecting him to make it. And the building just popped every time. So great. Now, real quick, um, Carson Edward gets the ball. He makes a play to the hoop. Uh, it gets blocked, and they get the Purdue gets the second chance opportunity. Which in that moment, uh, there was a question of whether Klein was going to get the ball or Carson Edwards. The play was actually for Edwards to uh, determine once once he got uh, that far down the floor whether he's going to take it or whether Klein was going to have an opportunity. He thought that he had an ocean to the hoop. He did, and then the three point attempt comes. I think it was a foul. I know Tennessee fans are going to be searching for legitimate contact for decades to come, but Turner got him with the hip. Kind of a weird defended play. Uh, don't think that Edwards' heel was out of bounds. And then, I mean, he misses the first. And when he missed it, now he's a good foul shooter, like 85, 86%. He misses the first. And when he missed the first, I thought he's going to miss one of these next two. This is going to stink so badly. But it didn't happen that way. He sank both. We get it to overtime. And because Purdue the won the way that it won, like the final 90 seconds or so, it was just kind of wrangling Tennessee away. Um, maybe the like all-time classicness of this game was lost, but I do think that it was, I think it's the 1B to Duke-UCF. I still think Duke-UCF was the 1A. I, but they're really, really close. No matter. Like, just terrific, terrific games. Um, and Louisville was treated to an awesome one. And, and enhanced by the fact that I'm not exaggerating, Parrish. 85%, if not more, of the building was either rooting for Purdue or for Tennessee. Virginia and Oregon just did not bring a lot of people whatsoever. So um, hearty contingents. And for what, the, just the building was constantly buzzing, noisy, loud. Uh, Edwards and Klein combined for 56 points. And Purdue in the, its past two games has gone 31 of 61 from three. It's the most three-pointers made in a two-game stretch in NCAA tournament history. So... Uh, before we make our picks and stuff, I'll let you respond by what you thought of the game. But just uh, just a terrific one there. Purdue moves along. Tennessee has its best team ever, I think, and a case for its best season ever, and yet doesn't win the SEC, doesn't win the SEC tournament, doesn't get a one seed, can't get past the Sweet 16. A weird ending for a really good team, uh, but obviously what Barnes has done with that program, like, they're probably going to lose Grant Williams as well, but if he can if he can do this again, it wouldn't be. I won't be surprised if we look up next year, year after, and we see UT back in the second weekend. Well, what's interesting about this Tennessee team, as we've said four thousand times, they have zero former top one hundred high school prospects on the roster. Yet Grant Williams develops into a two time SEC Player of the Year. I think an NBA player. Admiral Schofield, I don't think there's any doubt, is an NBA player. Um, Jordan Bone developed into a ter terrific. Uh, lead guard so the development within that program is has been terrific but winning with sub 100 prospects at the power five level at the extent Tennessee did it is not normal the good news for UT fans is that 
this success has allowed them to recruit at a higher level. They are going to enroll a five-star prospect in advance of next season. They've already got a commitment from a five-star prospect in the class of 2020. So, yeah, they're going to lose key pieces from this team. And I agree with you. I think Grant Williams will be one of them. There's just not much for him to do in college anymore. Um, at some point, you just go and, and you get on with your professional career in whatever form that it is. I mean, listen, if he wants to come back to school, that's fine with me. I love watching him play, but I would assume that, that Tennessee is going to lose him. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, think, I think Tennessee is, is, is going to remain good. Um, they'll take a step back, but they'll remain good, and, and, and Rick has done an amazing job um, you know, with that program, way better than I anticipated, and, and I've always thought Rick was very good. Uh, it was a foul. I mean, I, I had Tennessee in the Final Four. Um, I wanted Tennessee to get to the Final Four so that that school could enjoy a Final Four for the first time in school history. Uh, it, it, you know, Levante Turner fouled Carson Edwards. You know, th- th- there's just no way around it. It, it might have been barely a foul, but it was a foul. And if the refs would not have blown the whistle, then then Purdue would have been, I don't want to say cheated, but uh, would have been un- it would have been unfortunate for Purdue. And so Carson Edwards steps up, makes those free throws, and then Purdue just handled it in overtime. Grant Williams started the OT on the bench. And I'd be curious what you think about that. But when he comes in, they're down three, and they never tied the game again. And it's just another example of a coach not maximizing minutes with star players because of the perception of foul trouble. But, you know, that's that's the way Rick coaches, and he's been pretty successful for a long period of time doing things the way he does things. But um, – Either way, we get Virginia-Purdue now uh, with a trip to the Final Four on the line. Uh, again, that game's Saturday night, 8.49 p.m. Eastern. And Virginia, I don't want to say they were lucky to get past Oregon because they weren't. They won the game and they controlled it for the most part, but they weren't that impressive. And Tony Bennett talked at length afterward about the way Oregon guards you is just different than anything they see, and it was very difficult to score against. And obviously Purdue will be a different deal. But whoever wins this game, it's a terrific story because it's either Virginia year after losing to a 16th seed in the Final Four for the first time under Tony Bennett, or it is Matt Painter getting to the Final Four for the first time a year after he loses four starters from his team. You and I talked about Purdue in the preseason, and we both agreed. Um, Carson Edwards couldn't be our National Player of the Year in the preseason because we didn't think his team was going to be good enough. We thought they'd be good, but good enough for him to win National Player of the Year? Uh, we were both skeptical of that. And for parts of this season, it looked like maybe we were right. Um, but now there's eight teams left. Purdue is one of them. Carson Edwards is awesome. And uh, I think I'll take Purdue. I think I'm going to take Purdue to get to the Final Four to upset Virginia and drop Tony Bennett to 0-2 in regional finals. Yeah, I'll be fast with this because it's, uh, it's late and we want to get this podcast out for our listeners as soon as possible. Even the diehard ones on the West Coast, shouts to you, uh, to all you folk out there. Um, if you're picking against Virginia, it's not outlandish because it has not played a good game yet in the NCAA tournament. It uh, it had <laughs> strikingly alarming problems early against Gardner-Webb. Um, it was just wobbly early against Oklahoma, and then it was kind of a boring game as they moved along. And then the Oregon game uh, just, you know, it, it wasn't a fun watch. It was... I guess in a lot of ways it went the way that people expected. Um, Bennett admitted, you know, just survive in advance, move along, take the win however you can get it. I get all that. Um, Oregon just, 
and went cold down the stretch, had some bad turnovers, didn't make a foul shot, I don't believe, in the final five minutes there. Um, so, yeah, Virginia moves on. My note on UVA is this. Uh, Kyle Guy is shooting under 15% for his career uh, from three-point range in the NCAA tournament. Now, uh, across all games uh, in three seasons at UVA, he's he tracks north of 40%. So I think that for Virginia to beat Purdue – they're going to need Kyle Guy to get closer to the 40% dude than what he's been in the NCAA tournament. I asked Tony Bennett about that specifically on Friday. He said, you know, among other things, uh, you know, full team effort. But, yes, the Kyle Guy, uh, uh, him taking the right shots and, and making those will be important. So keep an eye on that. As for Purdue, you mentioned how much Texas Tech lost. Matt Painter had never had a turnover this, uh, this drastic year over year. He'd only had one other season where he had lost four starters a season before. Um, that was 2012-2013. That team went 16-18. and 18. This team had even fewer starts, like starts returning uh, than, than uh, that season. And Purdue was 6-5 and five at one point this season. Um, it, it was out of the polls. Uh, just, you know. It was kind of the team that I didn't put in the top 40 in the preseason. And then, uh, lo and behold, it really got its act together, started playing defense well. Uh, talked to this coaching staff today and the fact that Carson Edwards was good, not great, but inconsistent and had shooting slumps. Like for a lot of teams, for a guy that is so much of a volume player, um, he would be the barometer for their success, and it wasn't like that at all. Uh, other guys really stepped up, and that's a testament to Purdue, who, by the way, has been ranking and rating as a top 10 Ken Palm team for more than two months. So the advanced metrics, you know, the forward-looking metrics were right about Purdue. Finds itself in the Elite Eight, and I mentioned the three-point shooting. They've been, they've been terrific. I think we're going to get a pretty good game here. You're not going to see Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein shoot this well again. Teams don't do it against Virginia. What Duke did earlier this season at Charlottesville was the definition of aberrational for both Duke and for Virginia. I think Purdue will get some of its shooting done. I think it'll keep it interesting. Um, and if Purdue wins, no, I will not be surprised at all. Uh, we're going to have an awesome story either way. I'm going to continue to take Virginia. I picked them to win the tournament. I'm not going to. I'm not going to balk on that, even though. Um, I had Virginia over Tennessee in this game. Uh, but, yeah, so so give me the Wahoos. That's the late tip. That's a TBS tip on uh, on Saturday night. When that game ends, we will have half of the Final Four finished. So let's wrap this with the Midwest Regional. And um, those games were played on Friday night. Auburn blew out North Carolina, but watched Chuma Akiki go down with what looked like a serious knee injury. So Auburn is in the Elite Eight for just the second time in school history. One went away from its first Final Four. But the way it looked and the way Bruce Pearl talked about it afterward and the way Chumo Kiki looked limping around, being helped around the locker room afterward, suggests that um, if they're going to get to the Final Four, they're going to have to do it uh, without uh, the player who was in the blowout of North Carolina, um, the best player uh, on the court. Auburn made 17 three-pointers in that game. And anybody who listens to me talk about what I think is going to happen in a game going forward uh, knows that we're all guessing, you know, you can make smart observations, but still it's a basketball game. You never really know. But one of the things I'd said on CBS sports network, and I tweeted the link so you can go see evidence of it. I said, the thing that makes Auburn super dangerous to North Carolina and anybody else is that they're committed to shooting you know, basically 50% of their field goal attempts from beyond the arc. They took 61 shots against Kansas in the round of 32. 30 of them were three-pointers. And so the point I made is in a high-possession game, 
if Auburn's going to take 50% of its field goal attempts from three-point range, what happens when it makes 15 three-pointers or 17 three-pointers? I actually said 17 three-pointers. I said, because if a team makes 17 three-pointers on you, you're in trouble. I don't care who you are. And Auburn went out and made 17 three-pointers against North Carolina and, and ran them off the court. It was as impressive a victory as we've seen, um, given the, the, the level of competition in this NCAA tournament. So Auburn is in the Elite Eight, but again, probably shorthanded. Meantime, John Calipari is in the Elite Eight for the seventh time in 10 years at Kentucky. And check this out. Because he went to the Elite Eight three times in his final four years at Memphis, John Calipari has coached in 10 of the past 14 Elite Eights. That is incredible. Um, Houston uh, goes down, loses to Kentucky 62-58. P.J. Washington did play. John Calipari said afterwards they didn't know if he was going to play until, like, he played. He did not participate in shoot-around because he was in too much pain. But he, P.J. acknowledged that he took some pain pills, and that allowed him to, to feel good enough to get on the court. He ended up playing 26 minutes. He was 6 of 8 from the field, 16 points, 2 rebounds. He was really good, just an impressive performance. And afterward, Kelvin Sampson said, um, the only guy we didn't have an answer for was number 25, and that is P.J. Washington. So it's going to be SEC versus SEC on Sunday. Kentucky-Auburn, 2.20 p.m. Eastern on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's America's most awarded networks. the network of stars. Norlander, what do you make of what's going on in the Midwest Regional? How surprised were you by what Auburn did to North Carolina? Yeah, GP, I'll wrap my arms around all this. I'll make my prediction then shoot it back to you, and we can wrap up here. Um there was plenty of talk about like Oregon being dangerous, Virginia. Would that one seed fall? No. Uh, talk about Florida State beating Gonzaga last season. Uh, might Florida State be able to pick off Gonzaga again? Maybe there was a little bit of vulnerability there. No. Um, Virginia Tech beat Duke earlier this season, uh, playing close in D.C. Duke could it be uh, could it be you know ripe for getting picked off after escaping UCF? Almost, but no. No one, not no one, but you know what I'm saying, like. UNC getting knocked off by Auburn was not something that was a driving talking point amongst the college basketball media, or I would even say the general media at large. And that's why I love when the tournament goes tournament, because what we got here was the kind of result that nobody saw coming. And I mean no one. Even if you thought that Auburn was going to beat UNC, even if you played them on the money line or whatever, the way if you I watched that entire game, nobody had that like that. Nobody. Uh, stunning. Great on Auburn, great on Bruce Pearl. That Okiki injury is brutal. Uh, Auburn went to one NCAA tournament, and up until t- from like from 2000 to 2017, and now uh, in the Final Four for the first time uh, since '86. It's only the second time the programs got there. Um, they love their threes, and when they're hot, they're really hot. Uh, they, they just picked a great time to play a great game. Uh, Okiki had what 20 and 11, even uh, up until the injury. I, you know, the way he went down, I mean, I know he walked off the floor, but I, I'm not expecting him to be in the game on Sunday. If he is, it's it's definitely a difference maker there. And Auburn has completely just turned its season around uh, with a week to go in the regular season. It had like two wins of note. And since then, it's gone on a huge tear. Uh, been wild, wild to watch because this team almost got beat by New Mexico State. As for Kentucky getting past Houston, Houston made a nice push there. Uh, Tyler Hero hit the huge shot, but it was P.J. Washington's block uh, on the ensuing uh, on the previous possession that 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 led to that that I thought was big time. Uh, Washington showed up in a just an awesome way. So great on Kentucky. The Calipari stuff is 
it's 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 truly legendary. Like that is a crazy run. It is Shashevsky making all those Final Fours from the mid '80s into the '90s. It's Wooden going the titles. Like it's 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 just another one of those types of runs where the abundance of Elite Eight appearances. And if he makes the Final Four, I think that's five in ten years. It'd be five in ten years and six of the past twelve years if you count the Final Just, Four at Memphis in two thousand eight. Yeah. So it would be from two thousand eight to two thousand nineteen. So that's eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, one, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. He'd have five and ten at Kentucky, six of the past twelve. That's that's just a joke, um, and I mean, it's just great job on him if they can pull. And even if he doesn't, like, still like that, the, the run is just is fantastic. Uh, I believe we have got to be in agreement here. Now, you know, uh, Kentucky will be favored. We're going to take Kentucky to win. Uh, I'll take Kentucky to win. I don't have a line in front of me, but I'll just give you a score. Um, give me him like GP. I'll say like seventy three sixty seven. Uh, give me that, I guess. Uh, kind of a funky, weird game, uh, given the style that Auburn's going to want to play. Kentucky's the better team. Uh, but that's a fascinating one. And, yes, we are guaranteed an SEC team, at least uh, at least our only one, I guess, right? Because, yeah, that's the only one that can get in because there's no SEC teams in the other uh, in the other regions. So the SEC will be represented regardless um, in Minneapolis. The question is, will be Cal again or will Bruce Pearl break through? But that's my pick. Let me, um, yeah, I'm taking Kentucky. Uh, you know, I, I might be tempted to go with Auburn, given that they're on an 11-game winning streak, won the uh, SEC tournament, just blew out North Carolina. The Okiki injury I do think is significant, although it should be noted, I don't know that anybody works with adversity better than Bruce Pearl. He lost multiple players to the FBI investigation last preseason, still won an SEC co-regular season championship. Um, some of his best teams at Tennessee were like limited in obvious ways didn't seem to matter um i won't be surprised if auburn wins the game because again i'll say the same thing that i said headed in the north carolina game i i you know whether they take 60 shots or 70 shots whatever they get half of them going to come from three-point range at least against uh north carolina it was more than half and if they shoot their percentage you're in trouble their percentage is uh heading into north carolina game it was 38 percent their three-point percentage now is let me give you the updated number because it obviously went up it's at 38.5 right now that's top 14 in the country if they shoot your their percentage you're going to have a tough time with them but if they start going into that 44 45 46 percent range you know that's going to get them up to around 14 15 16 makes and that's a tough thing to deal with in a 40-minute college basketball game. But I still take Kentucky to win the game. John Calipari in the Final Four for the sixth time in the past 12 years. Last thing before uh, we get out of here, um, I'll ask you the same question I asked you about Buzz Williams at the top. Uh, Kentucky got here by beating Houston. Do you think Kelvin Sampson's coached his last game at Houston? I'm, I'm 55-45, no. I think it's close, but I will lean Kelvin Sampson coaches Houston next season. The Arkansas opening is what he's attached to, A.D. there, Heiderman, Houston. Um, I find that that opinion varies depending on who you talk to in the industry, but I will lean just a little bit no. Um, it should be noted, and yes, it is the Arkansas um, job that he's connected with. Tillman Fertitta, by the way, publicly said tonight 
um, that they have offered Kelvin Sampson $3 million a year to remain the coach at Houston. Here's the quote. He said, uh, and he, by the way, is the uh, Houston chairman of the Board of Regents. He's a bazillionaire. He said, Kelvin's done an unbelievable job, but if Kelvin doesn't want to be here, there's nothing we can do about it. We put um, we put $18 million on the table over six years. I love Kelvin. I would love for him to be here. So, you know, it's a, it's a six-year contract for $3 million per year, and it just comes down to, uh, does Kelvin Sampson want to be the head coach at Houston, or does he want to be the head coach in the SEC in a power conference, power five conference, uh, once again? Although it, it should also be noted, Arkansas can pay more than $3 million if it wants to. I mean, it's an SEC school. If Arkansas wanted to say, okay, how about we'll go six years, $30 million, as opposed to six years, $18 million, yeah. um, then is, is Houston going to step up and match that? I don't know. But – the three million dollars per year will not scare Arkansas away. Any SEC school, if it wants to commit that kind of money to a basketball coach, it's it's in the budget. They can do it if they want to. So, um, as always, we will see. But uh, one way or another, you would think over the next week, Texas A&M gets filled, Arkansas gets filled, and then obviously UCLA is a big, big brand that's out there. But we'll talk about that another day. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Fatigo. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys for hanging out with us. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the Ion College Basketball Podcast yet, please go do that via Apple Podcasts. Uh, every episode we record now is shooting straight to the top of the College Sports Podcast on Apple uh, Podcasts. That is always a cool thing to see. So thank you guys for making it happen. If you subscribed, I appreciate you. If you haven't subscribed, please go do it. It's the best way to get you, uh, the latest episodes in your phone as quickly as possible. Uh, five-star review, nice comments. And we will talk to you again on Sunday night once we have the final four set. I'm looking forward to it. Till then, take care.